Good afternoon and welcome back to the Young Wealth Creation Podcast. Thank you for tuning in last week, whoever did. This week we're going to move into taking again those next steps into investment whilst looking at different strategies where we can get started. I'm going to take a closer look into a few investment apps and a few investment platforms which are that sort of set and forget strategy where we put our money into an ETF but instead of trading on a centralized platform like like NabTrade or Comsec, we're moving into looking at different apps and different websites that manage that money for us. Some require constant investment from our behalf, others are that sort of change roundup strategy where they will take a few cents off every transaction you do on your credit card and they'll put it into an investment fund, which is a different sort of strategy, and we'll go through them. After we explore the world of ETFs and the online ETFs, we're gonna move into looking at some macroeconomic news, looking at the stock market, the bond market, looking at commodities such as oil and gold, as well as looking at property and digital currencies. For now, this will be the structure of the podcast, looking firstly at a different portfolio and investment management strategy, then afterwards looking at some news and having an open discussion about what is going on in the world of economics and finance. Let's get started by looking at the first investment ETF application, which is Raise. Raise is probably the most popular application out there. They offer both an online platform and a mobile app, which allows people to access ETFs and other index funds through the comfort of an app that's pretty simple and easy to use. The main premise of Raise is, which was previously known as Acorns, if you ever check that one out, is that they invest spare change automatically from everyday purchases into a number of diversified portfolios. The idea behind this is, as the investor, as the user, you don't have to make a conscious effort to constantly rebalance and reinvest your portfolio. You've got someone else, or the company in this case, doing all that work for you. Also, in terms of investing into the platform, they don't only have their spare change roundup feature, but they also have an opportunity to set up reoccurring payments. So you can either set up a $10, $100, or any sort of custom payment to be taken out of your bank account and invested into the platform daily, weekly, or monthly, and also have the opportunity for a lump sum investment. So you might want to invest a one-off payment. The key points that I enjoy about this platform is, number one, that they're the largest platform of their kind in Australia. They also offer a wider range of investment abilities, uh, such as looking at property as well as digital currencies as well. And they also have their Raise Rewards program, which means through their platform, you can go click on links for your own everyday purchases online, and that can give you cash back, which gets automatically invested into the app. Therefore, this broad scope that Raise offers makes them the most popular investment app out there. And it's definitely a go-to look as a first entrance into the investment space. The next application I wanna have a look at is First Step. They're more of a newer player into the space, but they also come with different sort of tactics than Raise that make them quite advantageous. Unlike Raise, First Step's allows the user to invest firstly in a core portfolio, which they call it, and that's a balance of either a conservative balanced or aggressive uh, portfolio, as well as allowing the user to invest in different themes, right? These are different subcategories of the market, such as the health sector, the energy sector, the technology sector, looking overseas into different countries and other sectors there. This allows the user to not only 
have a balanced portfolio, but allows them to broaden their scope and broaden their risk and return by offering access to different markets and specifically into different individual themes or categories of the market. This is why I feel First Step will soon grow into a larger platform and become more well-known because of their versatility, as well as this, unlike Raise, they do offer lower fees, about half the price if you have less than $10,000 invested, which I feel most of us would as a first sort of user. They come with the backing of larger index funds and larger management funds such as Vanguard and BlackRock. Right, these are large index funds and which their portfolio is based on. The last app I wanna have a look at is Stockspot. Stockspot's not as well known as the other two, but allows for much greater versatility by the user. Instead of having the account created and managed by the user, like at first step where the user sets their own goals, this time the user will input data into the Stockspot website and the algorithm there or the computer there will find a portfolio uh, to match the risk tolerance of the user. What I like about this option is it's more of a enterprise grade solution. They offer a wider array of stock management products and provide greater monitoring services than the other two. I feel this platform is more inclined for a seasoned investor that has a greater exposure as to how ETFs work and how a balanced portfolio can work. It's not as user-friendly as the other two platforms and doesn't have those sort of uh, roundup features or those weekly deposit features. So hopefully now I've shed some light into different um, wealth management strategies and help you guys get started on those first steps into looking into ETFs and portfolio management. In terms of what I think is the best app out there, I tend to lean towards first step just because one, they offer the lowest fees, two, they offer the most flexibility. And although they don't have the same roundup feature as Race has and the same uh, reward system that Raise has, their app seems easier to use. And the most important thing is it's more versatile and allows the user to customize the portfolio based on their own risk and return. Then I'd consider Raise as well as another app if you tend to enjoy that roundup feature that the Raise platform offers and the same versatility that it has. It is the most well-known app out there, which might be of interest to some of you people but it also offers the same reoccurring payment system as First Step. If you're a more seasoned investor looking into expanding your ETF exposure, then definitely look into Stockspot. It's more of a professional institutional grade platform if that indeed suits what you are looking into. I'll put in the description links to all three websites. I feel like looking into these investment grade apps is great for the first time user, just because you haven't had a major exposure into the stock market. It allows other people to manage the money for you, meaning you won't make the same mistakes as a first investor will. I've made countless mistakes and I wish I had known about these apps and these apps were available when I first got started, but definitely these are great tools in order to aid our exposure to the market. I'll also mention that these apps are good in the short term because they allow the up and coming investor to gain exposure to these new and emerging markets. But over the long term, as an investor, you look into creating your own portfolio, managing your own risk, which ultimately has the most versatility that more than any ETF could ever give you. All three platforms offer similar returns each year, ranging from six to 10% based on the level of risk you're looking into and the different portfolios that are available for you. Just as a side note, if you're looking into a platform which offers 
a greater risk to return and a more up-and-coming exposure to a different asset class. The website and app Chilla, which I'll also link down below, offers the same versatility as First Step, but instead of being in a stock and property-based portfolio, they're looking to a digital currency-based portfolio. They also offer low fees and same growth and wealth management tools, but this time into a different sort of asset class if that is something that you are looking into. So hopefully all of you out there have learned something new and a new tool that you can use in terms of managing your money, managing a portfolio. Let's move over into the headlines of the week. Looking into the Australian economy as a whole, big story over the last month and over the last week is the whole idea of government supporting firms which aren't able to keep the head above the water by themselves, uh, lending money to firms which in any other case would, wouldn't be able to overcome this coronavirus pandemic and now are paying them out in order to avoid them from defaulting. Data compiled by Creditor Watch shows a 17% decrease in court actions and a 25% decrease in payment defaults. Although we're in a coronavirus pandemic, it begs to raise the question as to why the government feels the need to support firms which cannot keep their head above the water by themselves. Obviously, if we see a decrease in these court actions and these defaults, it means firms that were otherwise unable to survive even pre-pandemic are given a lifeline which they really do not deserve during the pandemic. News has also come out from the RBA that Reserve Bank Commissioner Philip Lowe said he's going to keep the official cash rate at 0.25%. This raises the question as to how low really will the Australian RBA go in terms of the cash rate. We know that some economies have moved into a negative cash rate. That is, there is a cost to leaving your money in the bank, which is a new phenomenon here in Australia. Hopefully, we we do not pass that zero lower bound which seems to be the tipping point for many currencies and many economies. Hopefully, we see a sort of economic recovery, but it looks like that the RBA will have to move into a different sort of easing measure in terms of stimulating the economy, more of an unorthodox quantitative easing. This decrease in economic activity is reflected in the current unemployment rate. Although it's pushing close to 10%, we all know that The majority of the issue currently in Australia, and this was before the coronavirus pandemic, was the underemployment rate. person who is underemployed, unlike someone that is unemployed, currently is working, but seeks to work additional hours, but is unable to do so. Therefore, this rise in the unemployment rate will couple with the rise in the underemployment rate as people now are working a whole lot less. And once we approach that end of the first job seeker cycle period, which is at the end of September, we're going to see a larger change in this underemployment and unemployment as the economy moves to standing on its own two feet again. No economy was ever prepared for such a pandemic and such an immediate change, although many speculated, and I also had the great belief that an economic readjustment time in Australia and around the world was coming due to the changes in US. These changes and what's currently going on is quite unprecedented. Therefore, we'll see a lot of leaks and a lot of cracks in the current economic system grow just because it's not going to be able to capture all the current unemployment and, un- and current uh, GDP issues that the currency and the economy is facing. The governor also came out and said there's been a rise in Australians stashing cash underneath their mattress, so to speak. Currently, there's been a rise in the issue of banknotes from, from $83 billion in February to $94 billion currently. Dr. Lowe points out that consumers are holding cash due to the current economic recession, which hasn't been the case for the last three decades. 
He said, and I quote, we do not have the GDP data for the June quarter, but it will show the biggest economic contraction in many decades, likely to be around 7%. This shift from moving money away from the bank and back into cash notes and bank notes signifies a reduction in consumer and business confidence by Australians. And this sort of psychological reduction will be imprinted in the economy for a very long time. This sentiment that's been falling has long-lasting effects in in the economy and the economic activity so definitely the effects of the coronavirus pandemic are going to be much longer reaching than anyone would have thought taking a look into investment in the stock market we're seeing a growing and growing trend of people now that they're currently at home feeling like they want to get their hand into the stock market and hunting for greater returns what we're seeing now is a greater issue where people are looking into speculative assets and assets that they've got no real clue about. The CEO of Rate Settler, a large finance firm, are saying that a low interest rate reality is something that Australians will have to face and that they're seeing that there's a misconception that retail investors are willing and trying to do anything, including invest in speculative products that they do not understand. Currently, due to the low interest rates, Australians are being disincentivized to keep their money in the bank and approach other investment strategies and ones that are by themselves. Due to the current nature of coronavirus and the coronavirus pandemic, our economic activity and our market movement has been something that's not really easy to predict, especially by someone that has low experience in the market. Therefore, my discussion before about ETFs and other investment strategies gain even more merit right now. That if you're looking into investment, I'd strongly urge you to look into these ETFs and other absent strategies which will help manage that risk that you're currently exposed to. News also broke this week of Qantas and how their profits have fallen by 91%. Currently profits before tax fell to 124 million and their loss before tax is now grown to 2.7 billion dollars. Although at the start of the coronavirus pandemic we saw how both Qantas and Virgin Airways got paid out by the government, Virgin then went into administration and it's probably going to get sold off or in the process too. And we saw how, as many thought that Qantas was an untouchable company, latest figures show that Qantas is struggling and struggling big time. They've left a lot of Australians out of jobs and especially in their low budget airline. We see how really no airline is untouchable and no business is untouchable. We see constantly how the government has been bailing out big airlines and big businesses such as Qantas. This is not the first time that they've been bailed out and it probably won't be the last time. We see this market intervention by the government many times and definitely in the future, I would expect the government again to put their foot in and give Qantas money in order to survive. This is something that I personally do not agree with. You know, free market economic movement should be independent of the government and should be in the responsibility of the company and their ability to reassess their interactions with the market and find profitability instead of waiting and relying on the government to do that for them. Reports this week show that there's been a change in sentiment of Australians towards the share market. Many Australians now are moving away from the property market as they see this coronavirus pandemic having a stronger hold on property over the long term. And with now over 60% of Australians surveyed believing that it's a great time to buy shares and they believe that another crash or a second market crash will happen instead of this year again towards 2025, according to reports. Although this might be narrow-minded, there's obviously been a greater growth in the amount of everyday retail investors out there. 
This is mainly due to the development of new technologies allowing people to gain exposure into these markets, not only at a stock level, but also with alternative investments. Coronavirus has also given people the opportunity to spend time on looking to investing at a different sort of level, as well as exposure to these online tools, which make the investment space a lot more accessible and, not, and a lot easier for the everyday investor. According to Switzer Financial Group, the results of their surveys indicated 38.9% of respondents have not changed their investment strategy due to coronavirus, while 38.7% have become more conservative investments and around 21% have become more aggressive. This plays into the hands of people shifting away from the property market and other investment spaces and towards the stock market. Although this might be a good trend in terms of new money coming into the market, it also poses a greater risk in terms of the current volatility that's going on in the stock market and the lack of education around the investment space. There's also a current dividend crisis going on in Australia and around the world. The effect of the coronavirus pandemic is clearly far-reaching and now studies and data from Osborne Active Dividend Income Fund have shown that dividends are likely to fall and will continue to fall for the next couple of years. We do not expect, in terms of any investor, that dividends will return to the way they were pre-coronavirus. Therefore, there's a greater push into moving into alternative investment strategies. But the fall in dividend yields is going to cause a significant change into the risk and reward balance of portfolios. Therefore, it's important to look into individual companies that you invested in, especially if you invested into individual shares and seeing what these companies are doing and their response to the coronavirus pandemic and how it's going to affect your returns as an investor. Moving into the property market, we're seeing a greater trend downwards in terms of property prices and the number of properties available on the market. Currently, no one's really looking to buy or sell property due to this changing consumer sentiment as a result of the coronavirus crisis. Earlier in the year, we saw the Scott Morrison government introduce the home builder scheme and changing the first home buyer grant, which was a bit earlier on. This was all in the intention to boost those low level properties and those low price properties through renovation and giving an incentive to renovate, as well as reducing the barrier for first home buyers into entering the property market. Although this might be helpful in the short term, the price of high-end properties will continue to trend downwards just because of a different sort of sentiment amongst consumers. We're also seeing now the rise of working from home and how a lot of businesses are able to shift their, their staff from working on-site, usually around the CBD or other business districts, to now working from home. This will also change the incentive of people wanting to be around Melbourne and wanting to be around cities and push them towards the country. A greater urban sprawl will come th through a change in sentiment by consumers. This is more of a longer term issue, but definitely looking into the property market. I don't know, you can still get property exposure as an investor with a small portfolio due to the availability of REITs. Moving towards the country and moving towards out of Melbourne will be a bigger trend over the next decade. There's also been some data released by the current state of Melbourne's housing market. We have seen a reduction in value of property by 1.1%. The number of owner occupiers has increased by 0.5% and the demand from investors has dropped by 0.3%. Again, questions are going to be asked as to how the government will respond to this. We know that they rarely let the property market 
go through a large period of price decrease. Therefore, there will be some sort of shifts in stamp duty, stamp duty. And the Reserve Bank Commissioner, Philip Lowe, told the House of Representatives that they want to get rid of stamp duty as a part of a broader tax reform to support the economic recovery. Um, this is all some smoke in the waters designed to prop up the current state of the housing market through this coronavirus pandemic and stop the top end of town from losing value on their houses. Taking a look into commodities, we look firstly at gold. Gold over the last month has reached its all-time high ever, and we all know that gold is, all, is seen as a safe haven investment and seen as a place to park your money during unprecedented time. Therefore, coronavirus 100% aided the current price of gold and the precious metal has boomed to all-time highs. As we see coronavirus cases continuing to rise, unemployment reach record highs, economic support being unprecedented, and governments around the world, including the largest economy, the US, negotiating other support packages, investors are using gold to speculate on the current situation of the economy. Gold has been an, a favorable hedge by investors from a long period of time, and gold stocks have been booming as of yet. The price of gold took a big hit when Russia released news of their coronavirus vaccine. This is because it would have marked the end of the pandemic, although now investors are looking into the news that Russia provided as being slightly false and slightly misguided. Therefore, gold had seen a larger rebound. For me, I still see gold as being a safe haven and a way to hedge risk in this current time. Until a vaccine is released, gold will continue to perform well and provide another place for investors to park their money. Market analysts are suggesting to buy gold and diversify due to the current market volatility. And many studies are suggesting that when investors have 5% of the investment portfolio in gold, the overall portfolio volatility reduces while investment returns increase. This again paints the picture of gold being that place to store your money in this unprecedented time. Looking into the current oil prices, we see that oil is still at a low price. Petrol's at a low price at the pump, but low is still as low as possible. There's been a huge supply shock and OPEC has seen a large impact on their bottom line. We saw how back in April, May, oil slumped to negative $35 a barrel, which has never happened before in its existence and explained how there was a great cost into storing the oil that was being pumped due to the uh, liquidation of those futures contracts. The story of the oil and the oil market will be something talked about in economic classes for years to come and how an oversupply was a catalyst to this overstorage of oil. We saw how ships and large tankers were left outside ports and tied up in order to store oil, and all the oil storage places around the world were full. Now, due to this large supply, any sort of increase in price of oil is matched with a huge release in supply of oil into the market. Therefore, due to this large storage of oil that's currently going on around the world, We'll see for a long time how oil will maintain at a low price until those until that supply is liquidated, which could be years to come, and OPEC changes their production capacity. We saw how they reduced the number of oil being pumped in order to reduce supply and have a sort of positive impact on demand. Soon after, they started to raise the amount of oil that was being pumped and being supplied onto the market, and that again had a negative effect into the price of oil. So... I will hope that oil will stay low for the current period of time. Currently, economies aren't really having a large demand of oil. There's been a reduction in mobility, not only in car transport, but also in air transport, which takes a form of oil and gasoline. 
um, in order to operate. Therefore, for now, oil should remain low and remain low into the near future. It's not a sort of investment that I'm looking into just because of this uncertainty as to the supply of oil and the impact that OPEC has on the market currently. Looking lastly at cryptocurrency and Bitcoin news, we are seeing currently how that there is a shift towards a cashless society going on in Australia and around the world. This is coupled with a change in sentiment by consumers. A lot of people are seeing cryptocurrency as a method of increasing their wealth over time, as well as having independence from banks and governments in terms of the money that they hold. Data suggests that over a third of millennials and over a quarter of Gen Zs currently hold cryptocurrency as an asset in their portfolio. And that 16.8% of Australians own some form of cryptocurrency. Over time, we are seeing how Bitcoin and other coins are moving into a mainstream investment grade asset type. Although there's much speculation around the price of cryptocurrency and its volatility, it allows for greater versatility in terms of the holding it as an asset and will continue to grow as it gains popularity from younger generations. Hopefully over time, this asset class continues to grow. It's something that I'm personally very bullish on and it will gain popularity over time as the sentiment of consumers starts to change. Well, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the current format and learned something different about the investment space. I know it can be tricky to get involved for the first time, but hopefully with those starting up strategies that I outlined at the start of the podcast, it's raised a few more suggestions in your head as to how to get involved in the investment space. Hopefully you also enjoyed the new segment that I've gone through. The idea behind it is to give a broader scope into the current economic movements. And it's sort of a one-stop shop to recap as to what happened during the week and a discussion and an open discussion as to how the governments are responding right now with coronavirus as well as market responses. If you have any sort of suggestions as to how to improve the podcast, any feedback's much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed and have a good day.